welcome to another episode of the Podcast Surprise. I'm super excited to be here with Mika Litale, is that how we're going? <laughs> and Stella Z's, and I'm Kyle for today. We are going to be giving you another episode. We're going to be breaking down, turning your back. Mikal is super excited because we got a lot more yes here. We talked about the lack of him, but there are, these are some really powerful episodes. Before we get into the breakdown, we do have two versions of the podcast. One here on YouTube, when we're live with you, interact with the live chat, and also anchor.fm where we have our downloadable version of the podcast yeah it's fr- it's really fun these uh, watching them a second time through third time through however many times it's been now i've lost track my brain is no longer struggling to fit everything into what i expected from the books and that's makes it more fun often it's threatened to do stuff from the books and then it veers away and then it veers back with that it drags your expectations back and forth a bit but not now second time third time through you don't have those expectations and you can focus more on what they're trying to do you know and that's making a lot of things more clear and i'm having a lot more fun with that and mikhail is nodding yes that's a good sign <laughs> <laughs> yes that's a nod sorry <laughs> yeah it's the jack nicholson yes <laughs> yes no i think it's, it is really cool to see the pieces start to come together and like you can see what they were aiming for and how they got there yeah i'm i've definitely been enjoying this rewatch we've been talking about this season somewhat being a, a setup. Season three is obviously probably going to be one of the biggest seasons of The Witcher. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in future episodes. But had a lot of really powerful emotional moments. And we've talked about how they really set the atmosphere for that, really start off the season. But we're starting to get into some heavy, heavy stuff. And we're going to break it all down here for you. Before we get into our coverage here, we have two, two really awesome people being super generous in the live chat we have morally she says throwing a coin to my favorite youtubers do 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 morally our care caramora <laughs> our solitude of love and compassion we really really appreciate you i'm still not sure i thought she was paying you not to sing <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah toss more coins uh, to that effect please i'm not sure how i feel being called a youtuber but yeah interesting podcast <laughs> But she said she's your favorites. And then we have um, Amanda Molyneux uh, just joined her. Actually, our Facebook group, if you haven't checked it out, people in chat, our podcast surprise community on Facebook, where we have all sorts of memes. We talk about our pre-episode discussions and all sorts of stuff on there. So thank you very much, guys. We really, really appreciate the love. And it all all goes into the podcast and towards growing it and making making it a bigger and better thing. Shall we start into our turn your back? We got some really interesting stuff here in this episode, and we got a lot more Rients, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know what? You we, we, we were talking about this privately, and I did this like five times in a row. I'm like, ow, that actually really hurts. And then we were having a discussion like, he did that like 15 times. He must be uncomfortable by now. <laughs> I would actually love to ask that actor, how are your fingers? How's it? How's yeah. it? <laughs> that makes me legitimately squeamish. I'm always like anything to do with hands. My mother is a musician, a professor, and so she was always real protective of her hands. They sunk in when I was a kid. So it's the one thing that gets me watching shows and movies. If something's going on with someone's hands... Uh, that was really effective, in other words. So he's an extra good villain for me, this show version of Rance, because that snapping, it's working to make him creepy. It makes me squeamish. Like, that's effective. <laughs> but yeah, let's start yeah. off. Ten years in Deep Iridium. That's a long friggin' time, huh? Yeah, he's been in there ten years yet. He's still nah when she's like, I'll let you out if you help 
he thinks he's helping M here, so he's like, he's like, nah, I won't help him. <laughs> I won't be, I won't get out of jail even to help him. It's like, whoa, that is a real. He calls him a false god. Really? He's like, I'm not. He's like, I don't buy his shit. Yeah, you don't even want to get out of jail for that, man. Whoa. But then, and then Ly- Lydia says, uh, 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 "I don't work for him here." Yeah, <laughs> I love how he stops snapping when he hears Calanthe is dead. That was also another. The, the snapping allows you to stop snapping, which makes it <laughs> <it's>, sets <laughs> up how a change of mood. Whereas you know, just by establishing that, <laughs> just by stopping it, that's pretty good. That was a good scene. I like the expanded role of Lydia. They had to. It's understandable why they didn't keep her telepathy only uh status in the books carried over from the show so <laughs> making having her giving her a working mouth makes sense <laughs> for a book to show change <laughs> so Mikal, let's talk about the setting of the scene lydia walks in there she has a deal for rian she's listen this is what i want and what does she offer rian's Mikal? i mean a way out of prison for one <laughs> <laughs> she didn't jump at it already <laughs> and she wants and she wants him to find a special person yes a person that a lot of people are gonna yes she's basically like we have to find Cirilla before everyone else does because other people are going to be start to start looking for her including emperor amir but uh yeah they're not on that team they're on they're on another team it's good there's gonna be a lot of teams many people to keep track of in the hunt for the princess i like how Lydia put it, what you just said, how once the word gets out, lots of people will be after her. And it's maybe already too late. That's maybe already true. <laughs> it's, although um, this is a bit of a flashback. So it's unclear how long Rience has been out. It's unclear when that scene happened. Which, by the way, is an interesting little pattern. That's something that a lot of these episodes start with a brief flash, something that happened a little bit before the end of the last episode. Or maybe a little bit longer than that. Just that general pattern of the beginning of the episode starting with something that's in the past. And by beginning, I mean after the cold open, right? <laughs> Not the beginning beginning. Although I guess that I haven't paid that close attention to it. Because they mix this up into different parts and then we do get the perspective, I think. What is it? Later on that we, we see that kind of how unraveling of Rien's tracking Yaskier. And then it's kind of cool how they, they deconstructed it into different parts. To be like, oh, to not give us away too much at once right let us be detectives oh okay this was in the past and i I find this is an effective way to do things like when they oh okay they've been planning this for a little bit this isn't just happening right now so i find that cool i also think the books do this too they'll hop around in terms of exactly not everything that happens and a lot of things happen are exactly in chronological order but i feel like this was her going i can still do out of chronological order stuff guys just because you didn't like it in the first season doesn't mean i can't keep going it's just used much more like within the timeline here i appreciate the synergy or not synergy synchronicity or parallel or just it just works i don't even know if it was intentional of burn butcher burn with rayon sitting there being like that's exactly what i'm gonna do <laughs> like i'm ready to do that just tell me where he is <laughs> and, and and it's funny we we don't know rayon's is there when yaskier is first doing that so it's effective like we just think yaskier is having his taylor swift moment talking about Geralt in his new ballad but then we learn it's much more than that because it applies to all of this fire magic that's going on yeah so. yeah <laughs> and, and and that's just cool it creates bigger layers and yeah I just thought um, this introduction was very effective. Like, obviously, I know who Rianz is, and I know he's very scary. But I thought the way they introduced two completely new characters without 
really skipping a beat. It was very effective. Like I was genuinely, even if I didn't know who these people were, I feel like I would be like, it's not great that they're on the board now. Yeah. <laughs> this was a little more subtle than when we got uh, Dijkstra. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just slightly. Yeah. But, and and, and it's, all, it's also interesting, too, because Dijkstra is someone who plays beyond, behind the scenes, and his introduction was more forward than the, the Rienz introduction is uh, a little bit more subtle, but he's actually a much more attack dog thug. So it's really interesting how they did that. Oh, I really fear this guy, like what this guy is capable of. Yeah, he looks villainous. I mean, that guy, that <laughs> he, he looks intense, and then the snapping and the fire, and just he's clearly pretty quickly shows how ruthless he is and, and cruel. So, yeah. <laughs> what was this guy locked up for in the first place? And in the next episode, I think it is that Yennefer, or, and I think Triss and Yennefer both make it clear in their own way that the fact that he uses fire magic is proof that he's not part of Eratusa. He's not part of the school, not part of the brotherhood. And that's not stated outright in the books. It's just left to be made clear. You're like, well, this guy's in one in one sense it's not very subtle. He's throwing flame around, but it's never outright stated that's the reason that you can be 100% sure he's not in the brotherhood because he's not following the rules. But it's it's still straightforward enough. I kinda... the brotherhood follows the rules. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it must not be a mages then, right? <laughs> <laughs> Side eye emoji. Someone doing Side something eye. they shouldn't Side do can't be an age. <laughs> I would say that book Riance is a little more comical, and that, and he's a little less intimidating, even though he's just as cruel and, and evil. Um, a little bit more of a cartoon villain as opposed to a real true. Yeah, villain, I, I think Sapkowski clearly was doing that on purpose, but you know that he, he intentionally sacrificed scariness for that other stuff. But here, they clearly went with making him scarier. And I guess it worked. Yeah, I think it worked. I, I feel like what, we might was, get the type yeah. of thing where we're, like, escalating bosses. We do that in the books also, but, like, some of the people who Siri comes up against and Geralt comes up against are really, really scary. <laughs> really, really scary. <laughs> and so I think they, they might be setting this guy up to be super scary, and then they're like, oh, no. Uh, mm, mm. And then we got Leo Bond. Yeah, exactly. And then it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, shit. I, I think, too, what's interesting is I, I talked a little bit about the possibility of a Wild Hunt actually being an endgame boss, but I actually think that links to what you're saying, Mikael, and that we actually will get some crazy conjunction of the sphere, sphere stuff, which we're going to talk about more in this podcast. What was your what were your kind of thoughts on Yennefer in this episode, Mikael? Because obviously she finds Yaskier and she has that smirk and she's like, uh, they've had some good times and some bad times. So you can feel that energy from Yennefer. But then also she's really, I mean, without Yennefer, Yaskier was in big trouble. Like, he, he could have died there. Yeah, no, I love her in this episode. I mean, first of all, I love seeing her pretend to be drunk and, like, just stumbling in there. <laughs> and they both play off of each other so well. Like, I, I don't remember. I don't think she actually does that in the books. I think she more comes in and rescues Yaskier just straight up. But, like, it's such a fun dynamic because you really get the sense that Yaskier is, like, scared for her. Which is really sweet, because of all the people in this room, I wouldn't be worried about Yennefer. And it's funny, Mikal, because in the conversation with Rance, Yaskier says, I haven't seen Geralt for years, so he's relieved that Yennefer is there, but also at the same time, oh shit, she, like, I haven't seen her for a long time. She's about to get burned by this, like, psychotic fire yeah. mage. So. I mean, well, <laughs> I mean, she doesn't have her emotions. magic, and he, and he knows that, which he forgets yeah. in, like, five seconds. But it's a very sweet thing, even though Yennefer has, has the situation well in hand. 
That's why I thought. That's why I thought the smirk was so lovely. Like you can tell that she genuinely loves and cares about Yaskier, even <laughs> if she has some like salt, salt to it. I like how they c- continue to find ways to maintain some of the little details of the plot, even as they're making large changes to it. Right, like the uh, the fact that. Yennefer is still the one that burns Rianz's face, even though she doesn't have her powers like she did in the book when she does it, <laughs> right? She's still the one that does that to him. But here it's with cleverness. Oh, I can blow that. You want to put fire up? Okay. The blowing alcohol thing. We've seen that in movies before, but it's always satisfying because it's that bad guy. He deserved it. <laughs> I will say it defies logic a little bit for me that like the firefucker is like burned <laughs> in the face like I'm, I'm just a little bit like, i feel like he should have immunity to that or something but you know, whatever it's still a fun moment yeah well but, it wasn't but, his but fire it was the alcohol true true <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I, but i also like him talking about the instability of fire magic and having it backfire on him he didn't think that this was a possibility like someone him just lighting a fire intimidating someone that being part of his kind of motto and then it blowing back in his face, literally. <laughs> I thought that that was ironic and funny. Yeah, you're right. It's, it was kind of ironic because he was just saying how, unless you're really talented, like fire eats you up unless you're really talented like me. And then <laughs> two seconds later, he's, <laughs> his face is on fire. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, like you can't control everything. I feel people like Rian, yeah. that part of their ethos is that like, I have mastered this thing. And it's, I feel like you have to have the Yennefer point of view where it's maybe you can use it, but you can't control it permanently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's funny, I almost thought that she was going to be like, so do something like drunken kung fu, like drunken master move. <laughs> I, was like, I used to watch all the old school martial arts movies, and I was like, oh, I had that vibe. I can be you but... with my eyes closed. <laughs> Ultimately, it was the um, alcohol itself that was the weapon. Uh-huh. <laughs> we then get a chase, of course, and then, yes, Kier does his own thing, and he's hiding, and then we uh, have Yennefer. She gets ratted out. Yeah, she has by... no choice but to beckon deathless mother after all because of the unscrupulous street person there <laughs> and the deathless mother appears as someone that's going to be really important to yennefer oh yeah Siri. and yennefer doesn't know who that is yet yeah that, that which turns out super interesting later right because as we'll point out in the ne- coverage of the next episode she says we'll connect the dots here yennefer siri says i dreamt of you before i knew who you were and here, Yennefer is seeing Siri before through someone else. It's a projected dream. It's not exactly a dream, but it's close enough before she knows who she is. So it's going to be mirrored that way when they meet. And remember, Yennefer's going to say, maybe it was destiny that we that our paths crossed. And she's sitting here going, I'm going to have to kidnap you. <laughs> Like, like, damn it. Deathless Mother takes some really big digs, though. All alone in a world that hates you with no way to protect yourself. Yeah. Like, like, really just, like, putting the finger in the wound. Yeah, there's lots of torture throughout this season, both physical and magical and this kind of torture. This sort of, like, (laughs) psychological torture. We really get the buffet of torture. Oh, it's we haven't even met right, the rats though. It's yet. Really good. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yep. Um, or been in like the laboratories or whatever else. Yeah. We're, uh, we're totally going to see the laboratories <laughs> next season, right? I feel like that's going to be. Yeah. What do you guys think tipped Jennifer over the edge there? Well, mostly just because I mean she was captured. She had to escape. Like she was going to be 
the elves were being rounded up, I think. And she had, and before that, we skipped over this. She saw elven children getting rounded up and tried to cast a spell. And of course, it didn't work. So, and her hand is twitching and she's trying so hard. Yeah. You can see the effort she's putting into it. And it's okay. There's a certain amount of frustration you can take as someone who's like Yennefer Vengerberg, who literally swung the Battle of Sodden. If it wasn't for her, people would be, you know, mages would be done for. It's really similar to what you said last time, Kyle. It was, a, you, it was yeah. pretty well put when you talked about how Siri had been strong for a while and then when just a little bit of teasing set her off because it was, it was a different sort of reaction and different sort of stimulus for her. Yeah, you pointed out that it was a, a whole bunch of different things. She'd taken a lot of hits. That was a straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing. And I think it's a similar thing for Yennefer here. She's trying to resist the temptation, but there's just so many things she's like, I could have saved these kids. I could have done this. I could have done this. I could have done this. And now I'm like literally captured. <laughs> so I really just have to... And we can't forget that Yennefer was bullied, right, because of her appearance. But this is worse than bullying. This is, she has an idea of what might be happening to those elven children. Yeah. Oh, and she was also almost assaulted on the street there by, like, dudes who were clearly going to do awful things there. So another reason for her to be like, well, she got out of that. But if she had had her power, it would have been no problem to get out of that instead of a touch and go situation. I anticipated it being something a little stronger because it's not like she hasn't been in tight spots. I mean, like, the the end of episode four is, is a very tight spot for her, and she, like, manages to get <laughs> out of that. So, yeah, I, I kind of read it a little bit, like, in connection to what the Devil's Mother was saying, that, like, the people who made a deal with me have command and hope and everything that they wanted. And I feel like Yennefer's sitting there. Like, obviously, what she ends up asking the Deathless Mother for, demanding, is not command or hope. But I guess she has neither of those in that moment very, very tangibly. She thought she saw the loss of hope in that elven child, and I think that was a big turning point. It, right? like, it was, you know. but it's disconnected from she goes and rescues Yaskier after that. And I mean, I agree with you that it impacts her, and there's a lot of psychological weight building up. But I guess I don't know some like rude guards and a couple of chains. I I was surprised that that was what led her to it. We also get a, I'm the key to getting your power back, which is, you know, Yennefer yeah. clearly has been searching for the power back and a great deal more than that. Something we heard Geralt say, you're something, you're much more than what you think, Siri. So this is another play on that and a kind of continuation of that thread. Yeah. And it's also just additional temptation. It's not only will you get your power back that I'm needling you in a variety of ways and, and proving how much you need it and how harder, how much harder your life is without it. But also, it'll be even more. <laughs> He's like, all I got to do is get this one girl. That's all it takes. And, and then, yes, you could argue that's really selfish. He's like, you're going to sacrifice this girl just for yourself. But framed in the context of, I also could save all these elven children. It's, well, one girl versus all these other girls. Like She can rationalize it pretty easily saying, well, if I go out with my power and save 100 young people, then I have justified sacrificing this one girl. I mean, that's not a... That's not the worst rationalization ever. It's obviously problematic, but if she were to have actually followed through on something like that, then, well, I don't know. It's a thorny question philosophically. So I wonder if part of the reason I think this works is because the Deathless Mother is showing Siri literally a random person. And part of what hits her so hard in the next episode is her seeing that this isn't a random kid. <laughs> this is Siri, child of Geralt who she has not physically but like spiritually interacted with already. So I wonder if she had known that, would she have gone after her? Because I I think Yennefer gets a lot of stick for her choices at the end of the season. 
And I get that because obviously she's doing the wrong thing. But I do think that it's like a Ned Stark kind of calculus. When he's talking to Cersei, I think in the garden, and he's I can say that I wouldn't sacrifice nameless, faceless children for my daughters, but I don't know that that's true. It's a lot easier to write off people that you don't know and don't really have any meaning to you than, you know. But now she's in that situation and she's actually experiencing it, right? She's like, okay, she's actually being presented with this problem. Being, How do I find a solution to this? We can't say that we wouldn't react that way given the situation. Obviously, I would say I would probably want to save most people because everything I try to do is rooted in compassion and empathy. But, you know, <laughs> uh, the continent is a dangerous place. Let's just be honest about it. Uh, <laughs> let's look what, look what round, elves are being rounded up. So, yeah. Shall we move on to Istrid and Geralt? Let's do it. Yeah. There's more, <laughs> more Shard of Ice stuff here, huh? Funny comedy. <laughs> we didn't know we needed the bromance, the bromance. The, no, no, Mikhail's going to shut me down. <laughs> this, yeah, this is nice how it's adapted in that it's not so bitter as it was in the books. The two are both, as you described it, Mikhail, it's Geralt's breakup episode. And Istrid's in the similar spot, and he's almost suicidal. If not, you can almost take away the almost. <laughs> almost, almost. and Or almost not almost. You're right, this is more like they're ribbing each other rather than genuinely seeing each other as enemies or not even enemies isn't the right word as one of us has to go like we can't we, we can't coexist that's clearly not happening here they're not like in love with each other they're not friends but yeah there's funny banter they're not they don't hate each other there's not one or the other trying to be the alpha male necessarily <laughs> yeah. in the situation yeah. in their life but but, but it is interesting because we, we've talked about we like both characters and they both have great qualities and they both seem to be genuinely good men. And Yennefer has her faults too. So it's funny when they interact. It's like, oh, okay, could these guys get along? Well, they actually can. Well, it's also a little bit like the tension of humor, which is the Hitchcock thing about if you if you put a bomb under a table, that's a surprise. But if you put a bomb under a table and then two people walk into the scene and sit down and don't know that there's a bomb under the table, that's Ooh, like suspense. Yeah. And like, <laughs> so this is like neither of them actually know. All of their interactions in, in the story are defined by the fact that they are both interested in Jennifer. It is, but neither of them know that this time. So it's yeah, very interesting. Not till the end. Yeah. There's something about this guy that really pisses me off, but I don't know what it is. But also I vibe with him because they <laughs> are effective together. And yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I really, I think they're both great they're actors. Both... They, they had great chemistry. They're both interested in the same things. The conjunction is <laughs> it, it, It's funny. It's funny how it all starts <laughs> too because Geralt bring. <laughs> <laughs> Geralt brings in the head of the Myriapod and Istrin is like, and he's like, who sent you? He's like, Triss. He's like, is this a fucking prank, man? Like, <laughs> yeah, the head. It's, it's really funny how it starts off and then Geralt's just like, blah. The head's like, oh, this is an elaborate prank if it's a prank at that point. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There is a grudging respect going both ways because clearly Geralt's a-, a witcher, which just by the fact that you're a witcher means that you are tough and fast and have killed monsters. So that, at least, you may not be a good person, but there's at least a certain level of competence that's implied just by your existence. Similar with a mage, although, but Geralt doesn't like mages that much, except that this guy starts talking science and clearly shows off knowledge that is more of the, I'm interested in the world than I'm interested in 
great power for myself. He doesn't come off as like a stregobor. He doesn't come off as selfish. Yeah. And that's also a and big Gera- part yeah. of their relationship, yeah. right? That we were talking about the framing of, of this thing, what makes it more lighthearted. I think also is that they the stakes are way higher here. They're not fighting over they Yennefer does come up at the end. They're like, oh Yennefer, Yen, Yenna, that great moment. But the, the, they're talking about the monolith stuff and this conjunction of spheres. None of that happens in Shard Ice. So there's just much bigger <laughs> world shaping events happening that kind of make their whatever relationship stuff could come up would seem small. Well, there's a literal scar in the earth that's fucking like... Yeah, that's torn, what he calls like it, right? 15 yeah. feet wide, yeah. Well, says, this changes everything, Witcher. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, too, because some of the dynamic in the story is, it's, is like the jock and the nerd want to date the <laughs> hot girl, you know, and it's which one is she going to pick? And like, unusually, we're actually seeing the story from the perspective of the jock. They both have those qualities. Geralt has that line, like, I do read, and he's obviously yes, not an idiot. Books, and, yeah. and also, Istrid shows off some of his physical prowess and like he's obviously not incapable of defending himself or nor is he a coward or anything like exactly that. Yeah. yeah yeah so I, I thought that was really funny it, it is funny because it does seem like in the beginning Istrid is oh i am smarter than you i am a mage i'm in a library type deal but then <laughs> once they discover this thing they're both at the same level and they're trying to understand each other and actually trying to talk to each other clearly as opposed to having some sort of like power dynamic yeah. i mean because they're interested yeah. in, in the monoliths and the monsters that result from it for different reasons but they are both interested in those things and that's part of what brings Geralt around a little bit on Istrid, is he clearly knows what he's talking about. Some of the things that start to just, he says, I think it might be this, and then there's evidence of that he's right that pops up almost immediately. And the observation of the monolith in Nazaire emitting energy the same day Sintra fell was a real gotcha moment for them. Oh my God, this is, your theory is definitely coming, showing more evidence here, and very strong evidence, and that just again makes everything else seem small by comparison to any other problems they might have yeah and also i mean later on just yeah. just to say like the stuff that what istrid is doing when he when Geralt walks in on him <laughs> portals in on him he's get out of here i'm trying to find way places to put like thousands of displaced elves it's it's not like this isn't an academic thing i mean not that that's necessarily bad but it's he's not in his head he's actually trying to solve a real problem i can't say enough good things about the show version of Istrid. I, Istrid, I, I think he's just such an interesting character, and this will this will follow up in later episodes. But I really dig what they're doing with him. There's a great I, uh... bit of uh, humor with him too, with like a lot of this the style humor they're developing, tongue in cheek, referring to something that's right right in front of them. Where he's, what does this all mean? And he knocks over the statue and catches. He's like, sorry, King Rogner, and he's trying to figure out Ciri's lineage, and that's Ciri's grandfather. And of course, he's with Ciri's guardian this whole time. <laughs> he's trying to find out who this person is, and he's just with Geralt, who's the person that is like primarily in charge of protecting her. So yeah, <laughs> not only is Yennefer between them but Siri as well, and <laughs> it's great. Royce Peterson is such a great actor, and we talked about how the adaptation from the show and the books, we're going to see maybe characters like Lambert and Vesemir and other characters get more screen time. We're not just going to have some of these characters go away for like three seasons. I feel like some of them will have smaller roles, of course, but they'll still have threads that they can go on to. But for Istrid, I feel like he's going to be like our Samuel Tarly 
I just love where they're taking it. You know what I mean? I think that there will be some deviations from the books, but it was good because Geralt is the one who originally does that. And for him to just have a bigger role, like you just see how they're mapping it out. And this is awesome to see. I totally agree. So it sounds like all three of us are big into the, the Istrid role, the change, the expansion of his character into a, a lore guy, which is great. I mean, of course, obviously I love the lore. That's that's well established. You guys do too. But so <laughs> that's, I'm easy when it comes to that. And this is that's effective. And he's cool besides that too. Yeah. Let's go over a couple of points. He says, it defies every uh, scientific precedent. This changes everything, Witcher. The monolith are scars from the conjunction, the points of impact, but then that changes once everything happens. Yeah, so like that was the old theory, and now there's the new, yeah, his new theory, which seems to be right. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm curious what else they'll do with that. <laughs> well, and also that, that and idea of the monoliths yeah. as gateways, I think, is like hugely important because I think that's how they're going to use Ciri's power. Yeah. have a sponsorship today and it's perfect for uh, those among you who would consider yourselves firefuckers because you don't really want to be extra hairy so you guys take it away and i'll just i'm just gonna mute for now (laughs) that's a good point you don't want to shave with fire you don't want to try what rianz did and snapping your fingers isn't good enough so you need a quality razor Manscaped, everyone. Yes. Manscaped. Yeah. They have the lawnmower 4.0. I actually use it for my beard trimming, but you could also use it for other parts of your body for hygiene, you know, down below for you men. <laughs> uh, and I happen to also be wearing their microfiber boxers, which are super, super low. They're like cooling and nice and super comfy and well, help you cool. move around a lot. Especially but right yeah, after actually- a shave down there. You might want to be able to. <laughs> need to let it breathe after. <laughs> I mean, if it's safe down there, it's pretty much they're basically saying it's safe anywhere. You know, that's the highest you can set the bar, which down there, it's funny. The bar is set low, but high. But, but, <laughs> but, but I believe the lawnmower is a trimming tool capable of shaving a witcher. I believe it is. Even, perhaps even Nivellen. I don't have hair that thick, but it's worked really well in mine. I know, I know when I was younger and through not caring or not making a shift in my behavior, I would... I didn't think too much about razors that I had. So when they sent us this one and I got to test it out, because obviously we're not going to pitch it without having used it. And Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, maybe I should have been thinking more about the razors I had in the past. (laughs) It made me think back to like 20 years worth of razor purchases. Like maybe I could have been paying more attention, but also maybe this is just better. Ceramic blade. And it has a safety guard on it. So you're not like, yeah cutting yourself and it's got a headlight that is so cool like, i've never seen a shave uh, a razor with a headlight before that's just yeah i'm down with that i'm down with the with the the headlight and the smoothness and i, I didn't have any like razor burn <laughs> afterwards so that was nice i love i love how Mikals is taking all of this in but for those of you who are interested in checking <laughs> i'm on out, instagram out, i'm just letting you guys have your your moment here <laughs> But Manscaped was kind enough to do this uh, partnership with us. If you do want to check out Manscaped, we do have a link in the description. It's really easy to find. Get 20% off and free shipping. Use the code SURPRISE. And uh, use that on manscaped.com. Free shipping. Try out some of their products. And uh, like I said, me and Aziz have both used them. And they're actually great. Yep. So. 20% off. That's international free shipping, too. Once again, 20% off. The code SURPRISE. Manscaped.com. Razors good enough for a witcher. <laughs> We see uh, series training hard again. Yeah. And uh, we have Triss ha- having a-, a pivotal role this season with her and Siri's relationship. 
Geralt was being the protective dad, and now Triss is mothering her a bit, like, don't overdo it. <laughs> and Vesemir, bless him. They're right. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, the blood that falls from the boots. <laughs> I want like, to collect her blood. <laughs> Vesemir Dracula. <laughs> Count Vesemir. <laughs> I don't know how else they could do it, and I'm not making fun of it, but I like how when they make the serum, she's like, did it work? And he just looks at it, and he's like, it works. I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, how do you, you just you can tell by the color? Yeah, this hugely dangerous really compound, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a, just a, yeah. it's just a sight check. <laughs> yeah. I, like, even though there was comical moments, I felt like this was so heavy, because you yeah. can see... How, how much Vesemir's past still weighed on him, like him trying to continue the legacy of the Witchers, and then also Siri searching within herself for whatever she believes her destiny is. There's so many heavy moments in Triss being like, I don't know if Geralt is going to like this. And you feel all of these heavy emotions just going through here, and it's like, whoa. You really get the perspective of how things are. Damn, this is heavy. Yeah, it's got that same overarching destiny aspect to it where Vesemir th- thinks that, yeah, Destiny's given us a gift, and he thinks that's what this is. And later, he realizes it was fool's gold, if not worse, being led astray. But in the moment, yeah, he gets carried away and thinks it's the chance to reestablish what was lost. And he's also just impressed by Siri. There's that line, you're impressing us all out there. Because it's true, they they really are impressed by her which is something we talked about, how it, it's a, it transitioned pretty quickly from cruel hazing to the genuine, like, we like you hazing. <laughs> That's really nice. They respect her because she's putting the effort in, right? Yeah, yeah, and she's tough, and she's breaking a lot of the prejudices they had, or the predispositions they had about her, the things that they expected from her. She's done the opposite. Well, Vesemir says, hey, like, I thought you were a spoiled little princess, yeah. and you still are, but... <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> Backhanded compliment. Like you said about Vesemir, too, those flashbacks, those little, like, two-second moments of him seeing children and his own memories of the Trial of the Grasses, that was really effective. Came out of nowhere. They were all so dirty and and the crying, and, yeah, just, that was intense. What do you think about Vesemir's idealism, Mikhail? Because being book readers and knowing kind of what's going to be going on in the future, you can, you can, and, and this scene was like, he's kind of going to be set up for disappointment because Gerald's not going to approve of it, right? You just feel so sad for him. Vesemir is older, right? He's not a young guy, but you can feel how much he lost. It's just, it just feels so sad. It really just made me feel sad. Yeah, I think he's a very, very conflicted character because... He has those memories. He's acting in both directions at once, right? He desperately wants to be able to make the serum. Once he makes the serum, he's horrified at the idea of Siri taking it, you know? Yeah. But that of itself is a little bit backward because it's like, well, who who did you think was going to take this? The idea was that somebody would. And like, again, it's, it's a little bit of an echo of Yennefer not being as impacted because she doesn't know who Siri is, whereas Vesemir has been hanging out with Siri and, and watching her and helping her for show length of time that is unspecific. <laughs> but they don't give the boys the serum the second they get to the trial of the grasses happens after a while. Like presumably he would have developed similar emotions for the boys that he, he was planning to use the serum on. The scene where he is about to give Siri the serum is really interesting because you can tell he he wants to do it and he doesn't want to do it at the exact same time. So when it's interrupted, it's like hugely disappointing and also a huge relief. 
Well, Geralt doesn't say anything to him. He just looks at him, and you can see Vesemir feel the, feel the yeah. guilt. He's like, well, I really fucked yeah. up. Geralt is like a son to me, and I almost did this. He's like, you could tell he's like, my mind was clouded. I never should yeah. have done well, this. Well, the reason yeah, he says, kind of the reason good. he says he can't do it initially is, is not because Ciri's a girl. It's because you're Geralt's child. So that's different. She's not just an, a random orphan like they were. And that is d- the difference. Whether it's an ethical difference is one thing, but it is a difference in terms of their personal relationships. And there's a couple of interesting things, I think, that push Ciri towards taking the injection that she's able to argue convincingly. One is that I'm never going to be able to stand up to these problems. I'm never going to be able to run away from them. I have to either face them or die trying. And what's really the difference if I die from this injection or more directly? It doesn't really matter. If if she's going to die, she's going to die. It doesn't really matter when, which is a pretty decent argument. But she's also just wrong that she needs the injection to fight these problems. That's the flaw in the argument. Because she's doing it for power, right? Yeah. And, and, And that's what Geralt's trying to say. She's just getting started on this whole training stuff. Like, she hasn't even gone to the Temple of Melitoli yet. So there's just all these things she can learn. So she's, she's just trying to skip the training montage, basically, to put it in a, in a meta way. But she needs to take this one step at a time and learn rather than skipping ahead to Witcher powers that might result in her death instead. I felt like Henry Cable has been so great as Geralt, but this moment for me was like the number one moment where it's like, oh, Witchers, they're supposed to be perceived as having no emotions. And holy crap, he's like really giving his whole heart to Sir. He's like, this is not how we do it in life. We don't make sacrifices like this. Not you. You're you're important. Your life is important. And he's telling her that. And she's like, he, he can tell that she's obviously going through so much. But this is the moment where Geralt really decided to be like, listen, I love you. Like, I'm not going to let you destroy your life just because we need help. Like, that's just not a solution. And I, that was such a powerful moment for me. Geralt kind of scolding Vesemir a little bit with his saying nothing. But he had enough respect also at the same time for him not to say anything to Vesemir because he could already see Vesemir was feeling like shit too so it was like this really powerful moment for Geralt because he really took control there and he's like listen this is not gonna happen you're right Kyle that's a really central point Geralt speaking to theme wise he says we can't kill our feelings our best chance is to kill the hatred we hang on to and move on which is very much strikes at the heart of the concept that witchers don't have emotions like no we do have them and we can't get rid of those feelings we just don't argue with people who say we don't have feelings because it's tiresome and they won't believe us. And... <laughs> Which ties in with Vesemir, what tells Siri earlier, we often hate the things that are part of us, mm. right? He's yeah. like trying. So it ties in with that. And those two parts are in separate parts of the episode. But I'm like, those really tied well together. Yeah. I mean, I, I would still argue that there's a certain amount of hypocrisy at the heart of witchering. If you're going to establish these relationships with the trainees as legitimate and not just like kids are feeding into a meat grinder and seeing what comes out. I, I think that like Siri isn't special <laughs> in, in a moral sense. Like she's a child as much as any other child and as mm-hmm. valuable or not as anyone else. But I do think that it ties into what Vesemir is dealing with, which is kind of the, the question of who you sacrifice and, and for what reason. I didn't seize on the opportunity to make a pun earlier. So I'm going to do it now. You used the term <laughs> escalated. <laughs> Oh, yeah, gosh. this whole thing really escalated. Yeah. <laughs> the situation with that leshy and that mutation, yeah. We talked a lot when we covered 
Shard of Ice about the suicidal themes and whatever that is in that story is an idea of not wanting to live anymore because your life isn't satisfying to you or you can't have what you want. And it's not present in these interactions here with Geralt and Istrid, but it I think it is with Siri. I mean, I, I don't want to go so far as to say that she's suicidal, but I think she is reckless to the point of suicidal. Because what she tells Geralt is that she doesn't want to mm-hmm. feel anymore. And I agree. Like that. Yeah. Feel pain. Yeah, right? exactly. And she's trying to take, if she can't be like super powerful, then at least she can not feel the cost of the pain that she's caused. And yeah, I think that's, what that's she's, what... the core of her desire to become a witcher, so to speak. And all... that's why Geralt is the perfect mentor because he has dealt with so much pain in his life. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and then that's why, and that's why he stops the situation. He's like, listen, I'm not going to allow you to make any grave mistakes. You're still a princess and you're still Siri. And the dream really inflames all of this, too, because at the end of the dream, we'll go through the details, but we know how it ends, which is that Triss is freaked out like you're going to be the death of us all. That's another thing that drives Siri towards taking the injection. She's like, well, maybe it wouldn't be so bad if I died because apparently I'm going to be the death of us all. So it, it takes even more of the risk away in her mind that, well, what am I really giving up here if I'm a threat to the whole world? Then why? is my life so precious you know that's another notion that is difficult for her to dispel so easily when the person that's like hey let's go into this dream world she says genetic memories that tell the story of who you really are and she's all bright and pleased about the option we don't have to do this you can do this instead and then at the end of it she's like you're gonna kill us all (laughs) tris tris has a much more functional family i think and her her genetic memories are just not as problematic as yeah she never saw this she's like okay so my range of possibilities never included something like this like i've done this before but uh, apparently this is the exception of exceptions here at first it's recent memories just stuff that we've seen very recently and then there's dara and mm-hmm. she's at court when it's scenes from season one. And then she sees. Yeah, then she sees the Witchers. It's moving into more current time, moving into season two stuff. She sees Kay here for a second and it freaks her out. And it's interesting because he's not wearing his armor. I mean, I think she's seen his face a little bit, but not with his helmet off, only like a little bit of his face. So it's another, maybe yet another example of seeing someone who she hadn't really seen before, but getting like a fuller picture of them. She has memories of the knucklebone thing, which is an important scene from season one when Geralt is watching her and she, remember, she looks up and he's already stepped back behind the archway. That's like really early, like episode one, and then it gets resolved in episode eight where you see what all that happens. And then the really important part is Pavetta, and Pavetta speaks to them. Like she sees them, which is, I, I was really effective for me as like a device because Triss being freaked out was really were, transmitted how freaky that was. And it was already creepy that she was speaking to them. And then when Triss says this isn't supposed to happen, it just doubles the, the freakiness of it. So what did you guys think of that? Well, it was already yeah, like the, the, when Triss was like, oh, it's totally harmless, it's fine. I was like, mm, <laughs> ah, mm, okay. But then she's like, huh, this is like vaguely weird. And I'm like, that is your cue to cut and run. This is not yeah. like, <laughs> like an, as, yeah. as it keeps going, do you think this is going to get better? Because it's not. And it, yeah, yeah, it does not. I mean, it gets better for us because we learn some great stuff and see some, some really important stuff, especially with Dooney and Pavetta. I, I question Triss's judgment, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if she had, well, yeah, maybe if she could have pulled the plug. I wonder if that was, was already yeah, maybe control not. control yeah. or at some point that she couldn't let go. I don't know. It's interesting because you're right. Like if she could have cut it, she should have sooner, but maybe she couldn't. By the way, there were more rats in this scene, <laughs> which is even more telling because now they're in a dream world where there really shouldn't be 
rats running around Karamarin is one thing, repeatedly, always with Siri around. But inside a dream world, that's even more foreshadowy. So they're just, I think it happens, I swear it happens like five times that there's rats with Siri. Oh, it's a definite motif, <laughs> and it raises my anxiety yeah. several degrees. Yeah, it's pretty effective. It's another thing, it's pretty effective. Yeah, like they're pretty good with mood in the show, yeah. Well, because it's also just, I mean, when we get to the, the in the reread, the, the rats were so distressing to me that, Siri goes through a lot, but I think the rats were some of the... I found it the hardest to read, and so I'm like... (laughs) In a lot of ways, it's the most realistic, and that's what makes it the most... Yeah, Yeah. like, ooh. I have a whole thing in my head about how it's, like, kind of Sapkowski's parallel to Martin's broken men, but with broken Yeah, they are broken men. You're you're totally right. They're just very flashy broken men, more skilled and... And way too young. (laughs) Able, yeah. And, you know, yeah. True, true. Yeah, we'll have a lot to say about that when we get there. If we don't stop ourselves now, we'll just keep going. (laughs) But this dream is a bigger setup for, obviously, what happens in the finale of the season. But this is tragic. Like, you can feel the tragedy behind it. Siri never really knowing her parents, and then, obviously, her ancestors. We see the kind of lineage of Siri, and then even beyond that, the idea of what's happening to the elves and what has happened to the elves. This is really sad. Yeah, there's so many important things happening in this dream. There's this exchange of they'd kill her if they knew. And Pavette is like, maybe it's not true. And he says, it doesn't matter if it's not true. It matters what people believe. That line is huge, given what he does later with the elves and the baby. It just manipulating belief and the whole prophecy in the first place of himself being the white flame and all that stuff. Like, it doesn't matter if it's true. It matters if people believe. Just consider that, y'all. And that, <laughs> this, I mean, this is a guy who's very cynical about belief versus reality. Yeah. And that, I mean, what he does at the end of the season, the last <laughs> revelation is like, it doesn't, yeah. he's not the one who <laughs> takes the blame for it. And we see what happens. They also set up, this is the night they died. They set up, uh, we've talked about the possibility without spoiling too much, seeing what happened to Pavetta and Dooney. I think we're probably going to see that in season three if we're already getting this kind of dream stuff in season two. You're probably right. And I yeah. think if the, I think that this will probably go on in every season until the end of The Witcher for Siri. And I actually really like it. This kind of like Siri exploring her past and her future and all of that. Since she, she is so powerful, we got to remember that. But her connection with the otherworldliness of the Witcherverse is really, really cool, I think. And I think will be continue to be represented. Yeah, and I think yeah. showing Siri coming into actual contact with the people in her past is a... Siri's very right in the idea that, like, she can't control any of this. She can't control her bloodline. She can't control, like, the horrible things that people did before her or the horrible things that she's supposed to do because of all this. So putting her into more direct contact, like seeing Lara Doran and seeing her dying and hearing the prophecy herself, I think adds not necessarily agency, but at least a little bit of personal stakes as opposed to just in the books we get very long conversations of people talking about genetics and Siri's never involved. They're actually leading us to a point where Siri will have a conversation with her mother. Mother, And this is a kind of a common thing for protagonists. We see this with Superman and his father and all sorts of other characters throughout all sorts of different fandoms. And I think there will be a point where Siri will have to make a choice in her story and she will have to... Uh, she, uh, she'll obviously have the wisdom of the people around her, but going into kind of this essence of how much her mom really loved her will be important to Siri and for her to really find that out at some point and have not a real conversation, but for us, the viewers to understand that, I think, and for Siri to understand that will be important. I think we might get that at some point, which would be fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it stood out yeah. to me that they don't highlight this at all, but the fact that they're that Dooney and Pavetta are talking about taking a ship, what they do make clear is that they're taking a ship because of Siri. 
mm-hmm. and the unfocused question that they turn away from is why did they leave and why did they die if they didn't have Siri with them if the whole point of leaving was having Siri with them on rewatch I, I really appreciated that little crack in the mystery yeah it's neat the yeah they may have maybe ch- changed it slightly to deepen the mystery for book readers or just because of other not the domino effect of other plot changes but it's clearly still basically going to the same place it seems like so that's so it's very familiar but yeah i was somewhat worried about this as a book reader and i feel more confident about how they're going to be adapting it for the show and i do feel like we're going to get a nice visual representation that's the good thing for an adaptation we'll get to see this visually and i think that'll be really powerful to kind of see that in some sort of flashback or something i thought just credit to i forget her name the actress playing pavetta she just really made it look like she was looking at her daughter like that was the gaze of a mother to her child when she's looking it's not because the smile was very like matronly and, and loving and not like curious it wasn't like who are you it was like i see you the smile is very specific this was really freaking them out too because it's just not supposed to be possible and siri's confused because that's her mom but she didn't know her mom at this age. You're not supposed to interact with your dead mother. That's weird. <laughs> so, yeah, it's got to be just a rush of a bunch of emotions. And then, yeah, Pavetta watches them go. And then it goes from the bedroom to this crazy pathway of blue flowers. She's hearing voices that says, what are you, child? And then there's this bright light. And Tris is like, I don't know where the hell we are. She's more, she's like triple freaked out now. <laughs> it's just, like you said, it's, it's, it continues to escalate. <laughs> well, Tris literally tells her, I think you're going to end the world. Before that, we have Laura Doran dying with her child, and it's really cool. This is a fantastic scene. The story from episode one from being at uh, Novellans, and the line is, you could have united our races, but now you will destroy them, which is sounds more like pretty directly what happened with Lara and, and Lod of Kreganen. They were, or Kreganen of Lod, <laughs> I said his name backwards, were a human and elf. If their relationship had gone well, it might have stood as a, a standard for other people to judge by. But instead, it turned into like a huge race war thing. And that's no good. How about when Tris tries to heal Lara? She grabs her by the neck, and that's just quadruple freaked out now. <laughs> like, how is this person in a dream grabbing me, and what is going on here? And she says, you cannot help us. And ah, then we get Mika- the, the amazing Mika- quote again. The time of content <laughs> is nigh. The world will die in its frost and be reborn of the new sun, reborn of elder blood, of the seed that has been sown, a seed that will not sprout, but will burst into flame. And we see the wild hunt. <laughs> yeah. oh and Siri screams, which is oh, she's been gaining so much courage lately. The next episode is the Chernabog. It doesn't really scare her that much. She gets a little anxious, but it's nothing like this. And nothing really causes a reaction like this from her, except for Kay here. It's the only thing that's like at this level, it seems oh, like. Oh, yeah, that's, um, a good, that's a good thing to note, yeah. And one of the reasons it's really neat that the scream happens again is that Geralt and Istrid are in the crevice that she made the last time she screamed like this. And they hear her, and the shards start flying and everything. So it's a really cool culminating moment. The dream is just so good, <laughs> especially when you break it down like this and you, and you kind of see how all the parts connect, not just within the plot line and within the things that are coming, but within just stuff in the moment with them connecting to the other scenes. Very, very well done. Very, very well done. <laughs>
basically what we hear is that the conjunction of the spheres happened, beasts came in, and then mages weaponized them, and then went too far and destroyed too many things. It got out of control. Then mages weaponized came men, right? Yeah. Which is which is witchers, right? Yeah, like you said, three hundred years ago, and that's when Vesemir shows Siri the flower and tells her basically the story of Nightmare of the Wolf, but a, an abbreviated version of it. It's stuff that we've talked about before, but it's important that these other characters are learning it because it's going to affect how they act. And it's also very much part of Siri learning not just about the destruction of Kaer and all that, but about the Elder Blood. It's, it's all tied. It's tied together more tightly than the book's version. These two plots, certainly, for better or worse. Obviously, that's, a, that's in the eye of the beholder. But... I like them both. I don't. I don't necessarily need to decide which one is better. I mean, I like the books overall more, but <laughs> scene to scene, it's not important for me to rank them. But your mileage may vary. Speaking of more dreams, we have Kahir having a dream of his own, perhaps while Sirius is happening. Is, is Siri affecting people's destinies? Are people starting to be affected by Siri's powers? What do you think? That was kind of what I felt because his dream of is of Siri, and I felt like there was some kind of like series unrest somehow creating Kahir's unrest yeah because he's mad when he get like it's he's so mad when they're trying to when he gets back home and it seems kind of like what are you so mad about man he's <laughs> like, so aggro it's like, yeah like they're just trying to process refugees and you're like dah, 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 dah. don't you know who I am like no I don't know who you are am I supposed to why would I recognize you man and he literally just had people from the opposing side of the battle yeah come out and basically save his life the elves are checking people in here and the elves weren't there when he was captured so like of course they don't know who he is like <laughs> it's like bro I was just hired I don't know who you are like give me a break but Frangilla arrives to cool it off, and that's timely, and that's going to mirror what happens in the next episode, too. We have timely interruption of, of tension that arguably stops the tension from getting worse. For now. And, uh, for now, you're right. It's still just, it's more of a delay. <laughs> and Francesca and Frangilla, we have this really, this getting along well for now thing that it's, it's nice and... It's cozy. It's, it's. I think this is the high point right yeah. here in this episode. Well, yeah, it starts the high point, and then in the next episode, I think it it carries on, and then we start to see the seeds of its unraveling. But I, I oh, I I love the scene. Well, a, I have to say, like when Fringilla and Francesca talk, almost all the time, it's they're passing the Bechdel test. They're talking about politics <laughs> or each other. They're not talking about men. They're allowed to talk about men. I'm just saying. A nice <laughs> uh, don't at me it's it's different yeah. it's different when they don't exactly yeah. but like it, it is i think a good parallel to or contrast really with what yennefer experiences which is like she got mm. left out of the deal and she is alone and is imprisoned and out in the cold and that's what kind of we think inspires her to, to cave to the deathless mother whereas francesca and frangilla have been able to create a real connection and friendship because of their deal with the Tavla's mother, which was part of the point. And because, you know, that wasn't part of what they asked. They asked for hope and they asked for power and or command. 
and but it flowered into so many beautiful things that yeah mm. frangilla is amazing she's so uh, good one thing i wanted to point yeah. one thing i wanted to point out is in that scene she arrives there just in time to interact with oh kahir you're back or whatever but after that interaction she does like this little gulp in her throat okay i'm happy to see you back that little gulp in the throat is like the smallest thing but it's so effective i was like oh you can really sense that she was like uh-oh. And she's especially seeing that he's mad. Because as she points out in the next episode, he technically outranks me. So if he's mad at me, then that's bad. It, it, it wasn't much, but it was a lot. And I felt, no. I don't know, I think five and six are probably my favorite episodes of the season. Maybe five is my favorite, actually, right. just because of all, all the different moments. But I, I just loved all her interactions. And I really like the Fringilla making friends. But then you get the sense that Kahir's back and that's not gonna be a thing well, anymore. We'll I mean, he explicitly tells that. her in the next episode, you're not here to make friends, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> and he's also the one that puts the damper on the, the high point of the baby being born. Now, that's a different high point. Like you said, for the elves, that's their high point of happiness. I'm, I was referring to the, the high oh, point yeah, of yeah. Frangella and Francesca's relationship, yeah. which, yeah. anyway, same difference. Anyway. Also, low-key, Dara arrives in this episode in Sintra. Obviously, he's an agent of Redania, and yeah. that's going to also continue next episode, mostly next episode, so we'll just lay that here. Get into some funny moments. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. solid. Some good ones. We, we, there's some good banter between Geralt and Istred, as we mentioned before. Some specifics, for example, uh, see, I am helpful. <laughs> and and Geralt says, mm. Yeah. <laughs> that means He's like, yeah, you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good reaction. Yeah, hmm means okay, begrudging. You're cool. <laughs> I lo- I love when he said, "I worry about you mages more and more. Perhaps humans shouldn't live so long." <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's referring to himself <laughs> just as much, isn't he? The kettle black, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, if I, I found I, that ironic, right? Because he's ninety something. Yeah, Istrid has to know that witchers also live longer, so he has to get the joke yeah. there. I don't think that. <laughs> I don't think he was fooled by like, hey, you're insulting. Wait, okay, that's both of us. Never mind. You're saying that we should both be dead. Yeah. How about of course the how yeah. about Yennefer? He's like Yennefer of Vengerberg. <laughs> okay, I don't know if this was supposed to be funny, but I found it hilarious because I was like, no, yeah. Geralt of Staten Island, come on. <laughs> Yeah, is it a common name? Probably not, but like, <laughs> yeah, and he, that's, that probably really helped cool him off because obviously this moment gets a little tense, but the one of the, the topic is broached by Istrid talking about how great she is, not from a, like how hot she is or how much he loves her, but how she saved everyone, like Sodden. He's like, we should all be praising her name. So it keeps Geralt's guard down a little bit going into that moment where he's like, where they exchange the nicknames. <laughs> Which that is in Shard of Ice, if I remember correctly, the nickname thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> and then we have uh, Yaskir. You don't get to play the damsel in distress. That's my job. <laughs> Such a friggin' drama queen, man. <laughs> yeah, and then when the the gang or whatever try to uh, attack them, and she just kicks that guy in the nuts and runs off. Yaskir goes, "God, she's scary." <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, well, you don't want to mess with her, even when she doesn't have powers. Yeah. Something I just found randomly very funny is when Istrid calls Geralt Mr. Rivia. 
Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Rivia. I'll respect Mr. Rivia. I didn't know Mr. was a title know, in the right? world. <laughs> this is just wrong on so many levels. Like, not Mr., not Rivia. Like, none of this is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we want to thank, of course, uh, everyone for coming today. And also Manscaped, which you can check out. Don't forget, you got the link there. And you can use the code SURPRISE, S-U-R-P-R-I-S-E, for 20% off free shipping if you want to check that out. Also, shout out to our supporters on Anchor.fm. That's Maura Lee. That's Rhett C. Cat Ovivas. Alejandro M. James G. Barry W. Lucas M. Robert B. L.C. and Amy Blackfire. Appreciate your support, y'all. We'll keep the episodes coming. And if you do want to support us, you can toss a coin to your podcasters, YouTubers. It is an option on anchor.fm. We got the link in the description. There's a $1 option, $5 option, $10 option. Of course, it's optional. And uh, yeah, it just really helps out the podcast if you guys want to do that. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. A big thank you from here on the Podcast Surprise. We shall see you all in the next episode. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>